Hey, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 11. So obviously today is a pretty unique Sunday for a lot of reasons. Uh, Let me mention a couple. Obviously, parents, you notice that your kids are sitting next to you, or squirming next to you, I should say, right now. We've obviously done a family service. We don't have all the classrooms up and running yet, so uh, that will happen next week. Uh, So I'm not going to speak as long today, so some of you are greatly relieved, and hopefully others are not. So after our first service, people came to me and said, oh, we're restoring the hour-long service. I said, yeah, for one week. Wait wait till next week. So, but... uh, uh, is this fun? Is anybody else ha- I'm having fun. I mean, this is, this is amazing to see what God, God has done and, and brought us to this place. And so as we, we come into this first gathering here and being reminded that, again, this is about what God's doing in us. It's not necessarily about an address or a location or a building. But if you were at Shasta last week, before we made the, the jump over here to Runway, you remember that we finished our series called Consecrate, focusing in on what God was doing in us to prepare us for the next season of life. And last week we talked about how when, when God led Israel through the Jordan and took on Jericho and Ai and they were prepared to go into the rest of the land, uh, Joshua stopped them and he read the law, the book of the law to them, all of it, so that they would remember the defining document that told them this is who you are as a people was, the, was established before they moved forward. And the reason why is because as soon as you encounter, like they would encounter other cities and other nations, there would be this temptation to become just like them. So we talked about our unique identity as a church last week and talked about the bigger pieces that have to do with God's mission, reconciliation and discipleship and worship and those things and how that forms who we are as a church. And so today I want to kind of bring it down a little bit lower and talk about the specific DNA that God has given us as Antioch Church and how that translates to not just hey, we're, we're a church called Antioch, and we meet here at Runway. And, but no, what does that mean for me, for each one of us, as a person who's a follower of Jesus, who's a part of this community of faith, what does that look like at a personal level in our lives? And so I, I have you in, in Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30. This is the, the kind of the founding passage for our church. We talked about this a few months ago when we made the name change to Antioch Church. And this is where we have to go back to constantly to remind the DNA that God is infusing into us. And so if you have your Bibles, let me read again this kind of foundational passage for the church that we believe God's called us to pattern ourselves after. So starting in, in verse uh, 19 of uh, Acts 11, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyrus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God had, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to, find, or to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So if you've been a part of the church for any time, that should be a relatively familiar passage. So this morning I want to talk about there's four things that come out of the, these verses that tell us what our lives are supposed to look like as people who are followers of Jesus and a part of Antioch Church. 
And again, as I mentioned, I want to talk about the specific personal kind of accountability that we have as we move forward as a church and what God's calling to us to. So the first element of our DNA as a church that's drawn from this passage is that we are a missional church. Now, before I even go into more specifics about that, the word missional in the last decade in the church has kind of become the buzzword. And it gets thrown at anything that people do that is outside the four walls of the church. And so it gets this missional label. But what really mission has to do with is understanding what the mission of God is. So the Antioch Church, original Antioch Church, obviously was birthed out of God's mission. As they ran for their lives, some of them, because if you remember in Acts 8, Stephen actually is put to death for his faith, and there's this scattering. And as they're scattering, they're not just running like going to hide, they're running and they're sharing the message of the reconciliation of God back to God through Jesus, and so people are becoming saved. So it's, this church is like birthed in mission. It's, it's a part of who it is. But that mission comes by embracing this understanding that God has placed all of us in the world and chosen, we have chosen to follow him and he's given us a mission to be people who are ambassadors of his reconciliation, which means when we encounter people that don't know Jesus, we don't come up to them and say, hey, by the way, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. What do we tell them? We tell them that God loves you so much that he wants you to be in a reconciled relationship with him and that's why he sent Jesus because right now you're separated from him. You're unreconciled. And so we become these ambassadors. Now, obviously, that's something we do as a church family, but more importantly, it's something that we live out as individual followers of Jesus. And this is where it gets hard, because so many times what we want to end up doing is we want to end up going to a church that does whatever. Oh, I go to a church that does this. And we're like, oh, that's great. You go to the church. What do you do there? Oh, I give a little. I sit and listen to the pastor. I show up about twice a month. That's great. But what is God saying to you about your life? What makes a great church is not a building it's not a pastor, it's not a worship team, it's not a children's ministry, it's people obediently following the mission of God in their lives. That's what makes a great church. That makes what, what we're doing effective for God's purpose in our world. But you and I have to think about how we think of God's mission. And this is the shift that we've been walking through as a church. What we normally default to is we think that God's church has a mission, which means the church comes first and then God adds in his mission. It's actually the opposite. God has a mission, and he has a church to accomplish it. And the reason that's so important is because we become so church-centric and focused on the church that we think it's always about getting people to church. No, it's about getting people to Jesus. And if they get to Jesus, guess what they will end up? They'll end up in church. And that's a, it's a shift for us because the mission of God didn't start when the church started. The mission of God started thousands and thousands of years before. And it was going on thousands of years before the church came on the scene. And God said, this is my chosen vehicle called the church that I'll use to accomplish my mission. But the question is, what does that mean for me personally? That means that God's mission has a person. And that person is you. You are the person that God has chosen to use to accomplish his, his mission in your world. It doesn't, he doesn't just choose like one person. He doesn't just choose the pastor or a few really gifted people. If you said yes to Jesus, he's chosen you to be the person that will accomplish his mission in the world. And because of that, not only are you the person, God gives you the place for that mission. And many times, you and I don't realize that we think, oh, I have to, if I'm going to be a bar, part of God's mission, I have to be a missionary and I have to be sent and I have to go to another country and I have to move far away. No, you don't. You just have to open your front door. Because you have a place. It's where God has planted you. You may think that you live where you live because you chose to be there or you had to live there. No, God chose that place for you. 
If you read on Acts, God's pretty specific. He chooses the times and places where we should live so that people will find him, they'll call out for him, and might come to know him. So where you live right now, strategically, you've been placed by God. Where you work right now, you've been placed by God. Where you go to school right now, you've been placed by God. Where you are present every single day of your life, God has orchestrated that in such a way. Why? Because he wants you to encounter people who are yet to come to know him. That's why you're, you're, and that means that job that you hate, that you can't wait to get out of, is the very place that God has called you to be. The irritating person in the cubicle next to you is the person that God has called you to become friends with, to love them, to show them grace and compassion. For that school students that you can't wait to get out of, and that teacher that you can't stand, that's the person that God's called you to show his love and his grace and his mercy. See, we're always wanting to move on to the next place. Oh, God's mission is over there. No, God's mission is right in front of us. It's right where we live. And because of that, God's mission in every single one of our lives has a face. It's the person. It's your neighbor. You can see it right now. It's your family member that doesn't know Jesus. It's the coworker. It's the person you carpool with. That is the face of God's mission. And right now, even as I say that, you can bring people to your mind right now that you can see. That's the place that God's called you. That's the person. That's the face of what it looks like to serve God's mission. You are in their life because God loves them enough to position you there so that they might find out who he is. See, that's what a missional church is. It's far more effective for three or 400 people to live out God's mission than one evangelist to travel place to place and do a crusade. That's one person. God has an army that's bigger than one person. He's called all of us. And that's why to truly be Antioch, to truly be missional, means I, we have to go down to the personal level. God's called me to be a missionary. And now I know the place, and I know the people, and now all we have to do is step into that and embrace what God's called us to do. Second thing that's true of our DNA, taken from this passage, is that we are a generous church, or at least we strive to be a generous church. So the original church in Antioch, what did they do? They heard that there was a famine, and that means there were people, brothers and sisters, who were struggling to survive, to have enough food. So what was their response? We should just pray for them. Well, they probably did, and that's a really good thing, but they went beyond just praying for them. They actually said, what can we do to help them? So it says that each one of them made a decision. I can give this much money. I can give sacrificially so that my brothers and sisters can have food to eat. So they they took an offering. They gave sacrificially to support people who were in need. And that has to be part of who we are as a church. And what's wonderful, it is a part of who we are. From personal levels to us as a church family, we've strived to be a generous church long before I've ever even came a part of the church. This has been a generous body of believers. And what's wonderful about this experience is to see it, watch it firsthand, to see how it flows through our church, how it flows through the lives of individuals. As we've walked through this runway process and getting this building, to see the generosity of the church family investing in this building. But way beyond the building is the opportunities that God's given us. Even in the process, we've, we've made sizable donations to other churches while we were in the process of fundraising for our own building. We've given lots of equipment to Freedom Church, which is another four-square church out in Chatsworth. We also gave $15,000 worth of equipment to Crown Point Baptist Church, which is coming in to take over the Shasta property. And then we gave another $5,000 to a church out in Antelope Valley that's in the middle of their building project. And this is all a part of what God's doing, because we all remember that church called Lompoc Foursquare Church that gave us $25,000 to invest in us and what God's doing through the building process. But what's way more important than what we do corporately is what we do personally. And I've 
been listening and watching and hearing amazing things coming out of our community groups in terms of what generosity looks like. If you're not in a community group, you've probably heard it a million times. You're going to hear it a million times more. Get in a community group. It's where you have encouragement, prayer, support. You look at scripture together. You serve in mission together. And it is your network of what the church looks like. This is not church. This is a gathering. Church is when you sit in someone's living room and you know them and they know your life. And when they pray for you, they're praying with firsthand knowledge of who you are and what you're going through. And I've watched where, what I love, this is what I love being, being the pastor of Antioch Church because this happened a couple times over the last few months. Somebody ended up in the hospital and I wasn't the first one there. In fact, I was like the fifth one there because their community group immediately rallied around them. And I got a call from somebody in the community group, oh, by the way, so-and-so's in the hospital. And oh, by the way, we have meals covered, we have transportation for their kids covered. We're make, all that stuff's happened in our community groups. In fact, one of the community groups is doing laundry love Somebody in their laundry love said, hey, I have a need. I can't pay my rent. Could you guys help? And so what could they do? Well, let's go to the church. Let's sit down, fill out a benevolence form, and let's know we could do that. We have that mechanism, but what did that community group do? They said, hey, someone has a need. Let's all give money. And I think, I don't know how much, it was like a 1000 bucks. A community group said, hey, we're going to make sure someone can pay their rent. They didn't even go to Antioch Church, but they were investing in them. See, if you and I live out that kind of rhythm in our life of being generous, our world will be different. And if you've lived that way, you, you know that you can never somehow outgive what God can give to you. He always resources us. And the money that we have is never ours. It's God's to give away because God resources our lives. So we want to live that way. This transition to this building has been about generosity and mission. Because I've shared this. Now, in fact, we paid half a month's rent at Shasta. But once we clear this end of the month, automatically we have a $15,000 turnaround in our finances that don't go to Shasta, that go to this building. And the fact that God provided a way for us to buy the building. It's insane. With the income we have from the other side, the tenant here, and the Spanish congregation that's a part of us that pays us, our building payment for this building will be between three dollars to $5,000. That's it. Isn't that amazing? That's God. That's God taking care of us. That's God supplying our needs. And the reason he does that is because he loves us, but, but the reason he does that is because he knows we will invest in our community and we will invest in the body of Christ. We'll be a generous church. Then the third, the third uh, deep point of our DNA that we need to embrace is that we are an incarnational church. And let me explain what I mean by that. So the first church at Antioch was the first time that disciples of Jesus were called Christians. Now, some speculate that was derogatory. They were saying it in a negative tone. Others say it was probably a, maybe a positive thing. We don't know whether it was positive or negative. The people in Antioch who were following Jesus so lived their life that something about them reflected Jesus enough that they were given a label that identified them with him. And it wasn't because they wore a Jesus t-shirt or they had a really cool bumper sticker or they said, hey, I'm a Christian. It's because they lived their life in a certain way people could identify that they somehow reflected who Jesus was. And because of that, they could experience, even though Jesus wasn't walking the planet in, in flesh, he, they could say, we understand a little bit about who Jesus is. Why? Because we see that person who lives like Jesus lived. And that's what God's called us to be, is to be his representation in our city. To think about that, that God has called us, whereas mission is about going, incarnation is about staying where we are and about embodying who Jesus is. Because whether we like it or not, the definition of who Jesus is comes through the church who we are. 
That's how, if you think, if you know Jesus today, you think about there's one or two or three or five people that you can point to, and initially before you ever met Jesus, they were the definition of who Jesus is. They were the flesh and blood of who Jesus is today in your life. And if you think about that's how we're supposed to live our lives out, that when people look at us, they should see a reflection of who Jesus is. The challenge we face is currently in our culture, Jesus' popularity is probably at an all-time high, while the church's is at an all-time low. Because the world looks at the church, and they scratch their head like, yeah, we, we've heard about that guy, Jesus, especially in the United States. But we look at the church, and we're thinking, I don't know if it even matches up. See, because it's not about being a church and going to church and having a building and doing churchy things. It's about being who Jesus wants us to be in our city. See, the, the key is not to get people to come to, to church. It's to get people to come to Jesus. If they come to Jesus, guess what they'll do? They'll come to church. We get it backwards. And besides, we're far more effective outside our building than we are inside our building. If we take that on. In fact, I, I, I love the, the verses in, in first, or John chapter 1, verses 14. In, in the New International Version, it says this, The word, talking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the message paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, he says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Became present. And that's important for you and I to understand that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us so that we could, learning from his example, move into our neighborhoods and inhabit our neighborhoods and be present with people. Because God has placed us. God has actually placed us not only where we live, but God's placed us, our, ch- our church here. We're, actually, we're working to, to build relationships with our neighbors around here. Why? Because what is the reputation of most churches? Oh, you're just going to cause traffic jams. You're just going to take up my parking. You're just going to cause problems for me. And so we're trying to do everything we can to not be that, but to be the opposite of that. In fact, we're working with the, there's a, the next door, a building next door. They have tons more cars than they have parking. So the former owner had them pace for something for them to park. We're going to let them park during the week and it crowds our parking lot. We're actually going to create a break room because there's like 50 or 20 guys that come out on their break and their smoke breaks right in our parking lot. We say, hey, we're going to create a break place for you. What? You're going to let people smoke on the property? Yeah, I know. God forbid. They don't know who Jesus is. <laughs> we're not going to say, no, sorry, you can't step foot on our property if you have a cigarette. No, Jesus wouldn't do that. We want to make sure that we are the presence of Jesus. So when they say, hey, Antioch Church, it's not like, oh, Antioch Church. It's like, no, yeah, we know who they are. They really care about what's going on in the community. They care about us. They actually, we know them because that's what God has called us to be. See, the, the challenge we face is that we have to be careful. What is our reputation? What, when, think about your own life. What do people think of Jesus by knowing you? I can't answer that for each of you. I can answer it for myself. It's not always the best thing, but it's striving to be more reflective of who Jesus is. You know, we have to, as Americans, we have to kind of understand that too, that as an American, you have a reputation globally, especially in the area of travel, that maybe you don't even know. That most Americans, if you travel internationally, most Americans have a bad reputation of not very, being very good travelers. Because they get on planes that are cramped and they don't like it. They don't like the food, so they complain. They don't like the hotels. They don't like the airports. So the Americans usually are the loudest complainers when it comes to international travel. Like, oh, another American. The ones that come through customs and complain about everything. And then another American. Why? Because we have a sense of pride, which is good in our own country. We have a little bit more wealth than the rest of the world. So we think that we're entitled to have something just a little bit better than everybody else. And so because of that, we have a negative reputation. In fact, if you don't know what your reputation is, if you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus, ask them. Say, hey, what do you think of church? And listen. And say, then, what do you think of my life? You know, you've heard of Jesus 
Do you think of anything about who Jesus is when you hang around me? And that's scary. And just tell them to be totally honest. You might want to go, oh, wow, really? Is it that bad? Or maybe they'll say, you know, yeah, actually, there's something about you that I, I, now I get to see and understand that I never understood about who Jesus is before. See, that's what it means to truly be incarnational. Then the final, the final point of our DNA this morning I want to talk about is that we are a multi-ethnic church, or we use the word multicultural. Well, I think more multi-ethnic is more biblical. And that is to say that just as the church of Antioch was the first place that non-Jews had access to the gospel, that's a place where people who from different nationalities, other than being there, having a Jewish background, had access to understand who Jesus is. The same thing is true of our church, and the beauty is, is we live in an amazing country where the world comes to us. We don't have to hop on a plane and fly somewhere to encounter somebody from a different ethnic background than us. You just, most of us just have to open up our front door or drive to work or whatever it is. We are surrounded by different cultures. That's the beauty of living in the country. That's the beauty of living in Southern California. That's the beauty of living near L.A. L.A. is one of the most diverse places in the entire world. Now, some of us are like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, are you kidding me? This is like biblical God bringing the, the different ethnicities together. Why? Because I, I just have a news flash for you. If you don't like it now, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> because heaven will be predominantly non-white. And they won't all speak English. In fact, most of them won't speak English. We will be the minority who speak English. That's the beauty. Just, just think about this for a moment. What God has designed for His church is to be a reflection of what heaven looks like. And heaven, if you were to go to, to Revelation chapter 7, you read that the throne room of heaven is made up of this group of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping God. That means when you are worshiping God in English, you're going to hear Spanish, you're going to hear Japanese, you're going to hear Chinese, you're going to hear all, you're going to hear Arabic, you're going to hear all these kind of nationalities, all these kind of languages. And it's beautiful. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2 that all these non-Jews were hearing the praises of God in their own language from where they came from. That diversity that brings about the unity that God wants to bring. And that doesn't just start on the other side of death into eternity. It starts now. Okay, a little quick impromptu poll, okay? Raise your hand if you were not born in the U.S. Don't, nothing, this is a good thing, so raise your hand high, okay? All right, look around the room. Raise your hand if your parents were not born in the U.S., Keep up. Okay, now raise your hand if you speak a language other than English. Look at that. Is that cool? I'm a little excited, okay? Because I speak English and a little Spanglish, but not really that much at all, okay? But I, I want you just to, just to picture the direction of where God is leading our church, that someday when we do that poll, the majority of us are going to say, yeah, I speak more than one language. The majority of us are going to have different ethnic backgrounds. And when we look across this 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 sea of beauty, it's going to be a whole lot of salt and pepper, a whole lot of different colors and shades. Because believe it or not, that's more and more what Simi Valley is becoming. It's not just Caucasian and Latino. It's Pakistani. It's Indian. It's Chinese. It's beautiful. I love it. I lived in Oregon. It's really white there. That's why we're back down here. Okay, we pray for Oregon. They think they're diverse, but we haven't let them in on the secret yet. They're all white, okay? 
Just kidding. If you're from Oregon, no offense, okay? But I want to close with this because this is what, what I think is so beautiful. I, I Probably one of the, the most powerful experiences in my life happened in this little town called Orgura, Uganda, in the northern part of Uganda. We were traveling with a team that we were visiting medical clinics that were set up by an organization called um, Medical Teams International. And so as we were going to different places, it was amazing to see, and this was, this was a medical clinic that we were visiting, and they were, these different medical clinics had popped up because of the AIDS crisis in Africa because the percentage of people with AIDS was through the roof. And so they would start these little clinics, and what would happen is this was unintentional. It was all based on the medical side of caring for people who have HIV-AIDS, testing and treatment and all kinds of things. And, but what happened is that the pastors in the general area caught wind that their people were being helped with AIDS. So these pastors who would never talk to each other before... They were totally separate in these little villages. They would come from different backgrounds, different denominations, and they would never relate to each other. But they all found a way to come to this medical clinic because of what was happening to their people. So when we got to this medical clinic, it was the most amazing thing. So they they brought us in, and they took us on a tour. From room to room, we're going, and they're showing us and explaining how they do what they do. And and the whole time we're going on this tour, it was probably, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, we can hear singing, like really loud singing. And the further we get in the tour, the louder the, the singing gets. Until finally, we, we go through this hallway and we get into this room that's about literally about fourth the size of this room with the same amount of people in it. This is Uganda, okay? They, they will cram people in. And they're all worshiping the Lord. And in that room were 40 pastors and a bunch of people from their little communities. And they heard that we were coming, so they showed up because they wanted to worship with us. They had a worship team that were playing instruments I had never seen in my life before. And I don't even know how they made them, but they sounded beautiful. And they had been worshiping probably close to two hours before we ever got there. Just warming up the room for us so when we got in there, it was all ready to go. And so for about 30 minutes, we got to worship. We were worshiping in English. They were worshiping in Luganda or Swahili in their language. And it was beautiful because that's what God had purposed. All this division brought together... Because God was doing something so that I could get a taste of what the throne room of heaven is going to look like when we all get to stand before Jesus and in our own native tongue worship Jesus. That is the coolest thing. Someday I would like to have more congregations as a part of our congregation, the body of Christ. We have a, a, a Spanish congregation that meets in our building. They're over at Shasta this weekend. They'll be back over here and move over this next week. I would love to see us sprout out other congregations to have other people. And then there will be services where we can all come together. And the words on the screen might not even be English. Would that be cool? Or am I living in my own private dream here? <laughs> it would be exciting, wouldn't it? Because it's a taste of what God has for us. The world cries for unity, and the church has the secret to it. His name is Jesus. And if we want to see the world change, then God has to change us, and we have to be willing to embrace that change. Let's go ahead and close our eyes as we conclude today. Just before I pray, I want you just to picture right now something of uh, really asking some questions of yourself and what that would look like in your life. So just with your eyes closed, just focus... Ask this question to yourself. What would it look like if my life were truly missional? If my life was truly defined by God's mission of reconciliation, reconciling people back to him through Jesus, what would my life look like if that's what drove me? Ask another question. What would my life look like if I lived out generosity? 
that my first inclination when I heard of a, hear, would hear of a need was not to think what I can't give, but to think what I can give. Of my time, of my energy, of my resources. Then ask the question, what would it look like for me to truly embody who Jesus is? To truly live out the reality of God's incarnation by His Spirit inside of me. So that when people encountered me, they, they had an understanding of who Jesus is. They, in a sense, they, they felt like they just met heaven because they met me. What would my life look like? And then even ask the question, what would my life look like if, if I, my friendships, my friends spoke different languages, came from different backgrounds, ate different food, had different customs. What would my life look like if I was outside my own language group or my own culture? I just want you to see and allow the Holy Spirit to infuse into your hearts and minds right now what life would look like. Because if those things begin to transpire, then we truly would become Antioch Church. We truly would be the church that God wants us to be. And so, Lord... We thank you that you've infused us with your spiritual DNA, that you have called us to become this church, the name that you've given us to be, just like Antioch, but in our culture, in our day. So I pray, Lord, since we know the church is not Runway and Shasta, it is us. Your spirit lives in us, that we would live out the reality of what it is to be church every single day of our lives, so that our city is different, our neighbors are different. Our friends are different. Our school is different. Our world is different. Why? Because, Lord Jesus, we are seeing people reconciled back to you through Jesus because we encountered them. Thank you, Jesus, for what you were doing in us. Now help us to go and live it out in your name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? We're going to head out.